Hello, this is Robin Hill and welcome to episode 35 of Eclectic City. The music you've just heard was Peter Wilczynski's arrangement of Paperback Writer from our classic Beatles double album. It was performed there by myself and Peter Wilczynski. So far, the preceding 34 episodes of Eclectic City have focused on the more positive aspects of a long career in the music business. This week, I'd like to speak of, well, let's call them a few interesting experiences I've had along the way. We go back to a 17-year-old Robin playing with a great band of musicians called Spring. We were getting some good work on the university circuit, playing mainly original jazz rock material. We'd supported bands like Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Hawkwind, Canned Heat, the Keith Hartley Band and John Heisman's Coliseum. We had work, but not enough. We needed an agent who would represent us and get us more gigs on the college and university circuit. We managed to find an agent, and let's call him Ron Deed. Well, Ron uh, was an agent based in Salford. He came to one of our rehearsals in the crypt of Bedford Church in Lee, where we rehearsed twice a week. We played a couple of numbers for him. Oh, that's great, lads, but where can I sell it? We told him we were going down very well on the college circuit and that that was the kind of work we were after. He suggested we paid him a weekly fee of £10 to work on our behalf and that he would see what he could do. Well, in 1970, £10 was quite a large sum of money, but nevertheless, we decided we'd give him a try. Amazingly, after only a week, he came up with a great booking at Sheffield University. It was about nine months in the future, but it was there, and this was followed quickly by more. Manchester University, Nottingham, Lancaster. This was all looking very promising. The weeks went by, and every week... Mr Deed turned up for his money and every week he came up with another engagement. One day, I don't really know why, call it intuition I suppose, I thought it wouldn't do any harm just to check with the universities that these gigs are bona fide. So I called Sheffield University and spoke to the Student Union's social secretary and yes, you guessed it, they had no knowledge of the gig. It was exactly the same story for all the universities. I tried to contact Ron Deed to no avail. The next time I saw him, Mr Deed, I should say, was a very bald man. He was advertising toupees in the news of the world, before and after. Pictured before a most disconsolate Mr Deed, and afterwards crowned by a most outrageous wig, he was wreathed in smiles and in the company of a very glamorous blonde. We, however, were definitely not wreathed in smiles. Luckily for Mr Deed, we never saw him again. And unluckily for us, we lost quite a lot of money and quite a lot of faith in the human race. Well, that kind of story is quite common in the world of popular and rock music, but surely not in classical music. Wrong. Here is a track from my debut album with Peter Wilczynski. This is the Largo and Rondo from Fernando Caroli's Nocturne de Salon. And this album was sponsored by a Lancashire con man and fraudster who was based in Canada. More about his story after this. (laughs) 
That was the Largo and Rondo from Fernando Caroli's Nocturne de Salon, performed there by myself and Peter Wilczynski. Incidentally, that recording of ours was featured regularly in the TV series Lovejoy. Well, as I said in the introduction to that piece, the recording of that album was sponsored by a Lancashire conman and fraudster, who we later discovered was wanted by the Canadian police. Of course, we didn't know this at the time. Our first brush with him was when he was recruited by our agent to try and get us a record deal. Let's call him Kill Bill. He spoke with a strange mid-Atlantic accent. And one day he told us, You guys, you gotta get your asses to the Midtown Festival in Cannes. All the goddamn record industry will be there, Robin Peter. So our management company arranged for us to fly to the south of France and booked to stand at the Midem Festival where we could play live. This was the year when Michael Jackson's Thriller video had been released and it could be seen everywhere at the festival. Kill Bill said we also had to get our asses down to the Hotel Martinez for what he called the Martinez Experience. Again, this was where big deals were made and where a half of lager cost the equivalent of £50. We went down to the Martinez one night where Kill Bill informed us he was selling goddamn dreams for Christ's sake. However, this whole trip was turning into a something of a nightmare. We were largely ignored on our stand, playing unamplified classical music, when all around us was Michael Jackson and loud amplified pop music. We were developing an increasing dislike of Kill Bill, and we were completely mystified as to why he would take even the remotest interest in a classical guitar duo. Long story short, after Peter and I shared a very expensive half of lager in the Hotel Martinez, we were very pleased to be flying home the next day. However, we'd not seen the last of Kill Bill. He decided to put up the money to record an album in Manchester's Pluto Studios, a studio owned by Keith Hopwood, former guitarist with Herman's Hermits. The Smiths had recorded their first album there, and most appropriately, The Clash had recorded their single entitled Bank Robber there. We finished the album in about three days, and it had only one edit in it, as editing then involved a razor blade and a huge amount of time and money, neither of which we had. A few days later, a management contract from Kill Bill arrived through the post. It was entirely unfair and he was claiming 50% of each of our earnings, not just from the recording, but from everything we earned individually and as a duo. Not only that, but one clause stated that Peter and I had to pay his travel expenses wherever he went in the world. The agreement was obviously a joke, but the joke would be on us if we signed. He called a meeting at a town centre restaurant for the following week. Basically, we told him there was no way we would sign the contract as it stood. On his part, he was not prepared to change so much as a single word, and then he started to get agitated. Robin, I'm going to sit on your goddamn album, and it'll never see the light of day. Those were his final words to us. 
What could I do to salvage our precious recording? I immediately drove to Manchester, to the studios, and asked them if they had the master tapes. Yes, they did. I bought them there and then. The recording time had already been paid. And then I left. The next day, apparently, Kill Bill arrived at the studio to collect the masters. And on being told that somebody else had collected them and they no longer had them, he became extremely irate and agitated. However, as luck would have it, the next day our would-be benefactor was arrested by Interpol and extradited to Canada to serve a very lengthy jail sentence. We breathed a huge sigh of relief. We later managed to secure a deal with Hyperion Records and our album Virtuoso Music for Two Guitars was released a few months later. Here is a track then from this album which very nearly never was. This is The Arrival of the Queen of Sheba by George Frederick Handel. Thanks for listening. See you next week for more Skullduggery. Robin Hill's Eclectic City was a Hill House production. <laughs> ¶¶